All right, sound like him, everyone. Uh, we're really excited to have you all here, um, especially with uh, our our first time doing a bayan and a chutzpah online. So um, today is a bit of an experiment for us, and um, we really appreciate um, both of our speakers, uh, Dr. Dabi uh, Al Montessor and Gil uh, Kennard, um, who both talked about different types of legacies, but um, really amazing legacies that have not only impacted the communities um, within Islam, but also outside of it and um, in the greater world. So uh, I want to thank both of you, Dr. Debbie and Gail, um, for joining us. Um, and if anyone has, oh, I already see Joan has a question. So I'm going to unmute you, Joan, um, and you can go ahead and ask your question. Gail, salam alaikum. Scholarly coop by, loved it. Um, I wanted to know if you heard about the fact that when the Nation of Islam was raided in Los Angeles during the time of Ronald Stokes, Malcolm X was a leader. This was in the 60s. And I heard that that was part of the reason why he broke away from the Nation of Islam because Elijah Muhammad wouldn't send, the FBI raided the mosque in Los Angeles for everybody's, who else who doesn't know about it. And Malcolm X felt that Elijah Muhammad should have sent the FOI, Fruit of Islam, soldiers from the Nation of Islam out there to combat mm -hmm. the FBI. And when Elijah Muhammad didn't support him, I heard that that's when he, sort of started to turn away. If you can elaborate on that or? You know, I don't, I don't know specifically. I know I'm familiar with, there was a brief time that Malcolm X was the minister, the head of the, of the temple at that time in Los Angeles. I know that, I don't know the dates though. But uh, if you let me get back to you, I'm actually reading okay. a new book called uh, The Dead Arising. It's, it's a a biography of Malcolm X. Right, I heard about um, it. And it's, it, I haven't gotten to that part yet. So okay. I'll All keep right. you posted, okay. All right. But it's, so, it's highly possible that there was, he was under immense, as, as we're all learning now, Dr. King was under a lot of FBI pressure, um, Malcolm X, and there's a new movie out, Black Judas and the Black Messiah, Messenger, Messiah, I guess it is, about Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers. Right. Uh, the Black Panthers were also attacked by LAPD in, you know, a little later on. But yeah, there's right. a history. There's a history here of law enforcement trying to tip the scales. So there was a lot of infiltration of, of police and undercover agents in all of those movements. The Black Panthers, the Nation of Islam, Dr. King's civil rights movement. There, there was, it was a lot. Right. Uh, Hasna, I just wanted to share with the group that I have a sister, older sister, who attended Sarah Lawrence College. And she was in New York and went to hear Malcolm X speak. And, she, and a reporter was standing around and my sister said to her, he's just teaching poppycock. I don't know why he doesn't teach something more intellectually. And so the reporter asked my sister if she would like to speak to Malcolm X. And she said, sure. So a few days later, the reporter called my sister, her name is Peggy Forbes, and said, uh, Malcolm would like to speak to you. So they met at the Hotel Teresa and Peggy told him what she felt about how he, he was teaching the uh, sort of the uh, made up fairy tale version of the Nation of Islam. And she said, you're so intelligent. I know you can speak. I'm paraphrasing everything more highly than this. And I would suggest that you do to get your message across and to have more effect. He met her with two of the FOI soldiers at the Hotel Teresa. They had coffee together. And she, one thing that she really liked was that he didn't make a pass at her. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was integrity. All, was very serious, very spiritual, and very devout. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, I see uh, Sister Fauzia um, had a comment or reflection that you posted in the chat. Do you want to go ahead and share that with the, the Khatiba? Oh, thank you. I'm uh, joining you for the first time. Oh, okay. As-salamu alaykum. Um, and 
I'm joining you from Ottawa, Canada. Amazing. So wow. we have a, a three-hour time difference. Oh. And I actually already performed Juma about three <laughs> hours ago. <laughs> um, but I did listen in. And um, I really did appreciate both the pre-Juma conversation or, or talk. Um, and you touched on so many wonderful women in so many different ways. And uh, one of them uh, is... There's the, the name similar to my mom, uh, Asya, who in herself was a very powerful woman and was not defined by her husband, although he was a very good man. Too. <laughs> um, I, I, my reflection today was simply that uh, we're enjoying a very beautiful day here today. Um, you must know that we are very north of where you are. So we've been going through several weeks of a deep, dark winter. And right now, um, it's a beautiful, sunny day. A lot of snow and ice is melting. And um, it suggests that spring is on its way, inshallah. inshallah. And uh, yeah, I just reflected on how beautiful this day was, not just because of the glorious sunshine that we're enjoying, but the beautiful kutbas I enjoyed today, the beautiful discussions, and uh, seeing all of your faces too. Thank you. Thank you. The beautiful <laughs> reflection. Um, and I did go ahead and unmute everyone. So, because uh, we have a smaller gathering today, I think it'll be fine um, if we're all unmuted. So you can go ahead and uh, unmute yourselves. Um, and yeah, you know, it was really amazing um, to hear Dr. Debbie when you were talking about all the different types of Muslim women that are in the Quran and how, um, and not even in the Quran, but even in our tradition and, you know, um, at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and how some were educated, some were not, some were, you know, um, fertile, some were not. And and Gail um, had actually given a previous clip on the 12 wives of the Prophet, peace be upon him, being his 12 disciples. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a, a really cool um, reflection uh, to get again, um, even beyond the 12 wives, but to just think about all of the women uh, in the Quran um, and the diversity and how women are not a monolith, Muslims are not a monolith, Black people are not a monolith. Um, we all are individuals and we all have this uh, individual connection with God. So that was a really great um, reflection um, that you shared. And both of you have actually shared in different ways. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, for me, this this um, this topic is very um, near and dear to my heart. And every opportunity that I get to share it, whether it's with Muslim audiences or non-Muslim audiences, I find it to be one that is inspiring, um, one that is healing um, and really uplifting because we get so entrenched in everything that we do and we forget as women to celebrate ourselves and celebrate what our legacy is. Um, and so, you know, whenever I have these kinds of conversations, you know, with whatever, you know, audience, um, people are always um, inspired and, and uh, you know, and surprised that, that women have such a history in Islam. And, you know, as I had mentioned, you know, in my presentation, you know, when, when we start to talk about, you know, who's your favorite feminist? And I mentioned the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. Why are you choosing a man? <laughs> <laughs> and then when I start to explain, um, people are just so shocked to see that, you know, 1400 years ago, these kinds of conversations were happening and these progressive um you know, uh, you know, uh, this progressive advocacy was actually happening um, is really astonishing. And, you know, I think what is really great for us in this time and age is that we have so many amazing um, female scholars that are actually amplifying this uh, information, right? So, you know, I, I quoted, you know, Dr. Selene Ibrahim um, for her scholarly work um, and really, looking at how women, um, you know, in the Quran are being spoken to and spoken about. Um, and uh, it's just really, really inspiring um, to see the level of depth um, that she has uh, done in this in this field. And then, you know, you also have, you know, uh, Dr. Asma Saeed, who basically 
did an incredible study on all of the hadith um, and that were actually um, you know, collected um, and narrated by, you know, Aisha anha, and other women. Um, so being able to see the contributions of women to our faith is really, really incredible. Um, and it really, um, it undermines this notion that our faith is only something that is preached by men, um, but is certainly something that we all have something to contribute to um, and that's why these kinds of conversations are so important and that we, you know, share these stories, you know, with our daughters and, and the next generation to show them all the sheroes um, that exist in our history. Yeah. And, you know, one really powerful part of your bayan was um, when you were saying like, these are things that we have to share with the men in our lives as well. And, um, and also with the women, but, um, you know, uh, I, I'm sure people already heard uh, in Samia's intro, but um, Dr. Debbie was the first uh, Muslim woman to um, offer a prayer during the, the American presidential inauguration. And, um, you know, we're so proud of you for doing that. And, and it's, so amazing to see as well how many people yes <laughs> applause please. Yes. Thank um and it's so amazing to to see you know uh, see you participate in that way um mm -hmm. and see people in our community celebrate that yet at the same time why i'm just curious like why do you think there is sometimes a resistance of seeing people like you in the position of an imam or a khatiba um but it's okay outside of our community. Um, do you see, like, have you noticed that pattern? Or um, if you have, where do you think that resistance comes from? And, and how can we move past that or heal that? Sure. So I would say that um, what, you know, so I'm going to look, I'm going to first speak about this from the external, um, from the external forces that be, that basically, uh, are always, um, you know, looking for, for Muslim participation. So, you know, in the last 20 years uh, or 25 years that I've been doing interfaith work, um, in the very beginning, the first calls that I would get would be, oh, can we have an imam? Um, can you t give us the name of your local imam? And then I would ask, okay, well, what is, what's the nature of the event that you have? What do you need? And they'll start sharing with me what it is. And I could tell you that some of the imams, the local imams, you know, back then that were, you know, at the local mosque that I attended could barely speak English um, and didn't really know much about this topic. And I've had to educate people and say, well, you know, an imam is a person who leads people in prayer and they, uh, you know, are learned in terms of the recitation of the Quran um, and have mastered, you know, the technique of leading people in prayer. Um, we don't have that many imams that are scholars. This is back, you know, 25 years ago. Um, but, you know, we've had, you know, mosques that have been led by doctors, you know, by, um, you know, engineers, etc. And it was because we didn't have, you know, learned scholarly imams like what we have now, imams, you know, Omar Slema and, you know, Imam Yasser Qadi, you know, etc. And so, um, that void had to be filled. And so I would say to them, well, I can find you a sister who is doing this kind of work and she's Muslim and, you know, she can speak from a spiritual, you know, aspect about it and provide that kind of information. Um, so that, you know, that was something that we started to do. Um, and, uh, you know, from, from internally within our community, um, I think that a lot of times um, there have been um, imams who felt like, well, this is a role of an imam. It shouldn't be a community member. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my response to some of those who said that to me was, okay, well, can you give me somebody, an imam that really knows this topic and can speak to it um, and, and really be able to represent? And, and the answer has always been, no, unfortunately, I can't, but you should definitely do it or you should get somebody else to do it. Um, so I think now we're in a different state. And I think that one of the things also that I've had to grapple with, you know, uh, is helping people understand that also we have women who are scholars, right, and who are academics and, you know, who can speak and, you know, you know, when there have been taught, you know, times of talking about health care and women's health care and what have you. I would, the first thing I would say, you know, 
who are the women at the table talking about women's health care, <laughs> um, if you want to talk about it from Islam, and um, have always pushed to make sure that women are talking about women's issues, um, you know, and so we are very blessed, you know, at this day and age to have so many, you know, Muslim sisters who are academics who can speak to these kinds of things, where in the past we didn't. Um, and it's just, you know, a matter of us continuing to push um, and make that space for them. Um, and then also get our brothers who are imams and who are scholars and academics um, to understand that we, um, you know, we need to make sure that you know these important voices are at the table speaking for women um, and about women um, in 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 times that you know it, it concerns us you know as a community. Yeah, and that, that's such an important point too, not just about uh, women, but also about uh, when it comes to race, right? So we also see a lot of times where this concept of authority comes from, oh, they were educated uh, overseas, they were educated in another country, so they're a real scholar um, versus, you know, American born um, or American taught uh, uh, scholars. Um, and Gail, I'm curious to see, um, you know, in your transition with the Nation of Islam, um, what your experience was like in, in regards to uh, religious authority, um, because I've heard uh, Priscilla and I think, um, I wanna say Nayawiya also maybe touched on this before when they were talking about um, the changes in the nation of Islam and how when uh, they were changing to Al-Islam or the Islam of the Quran, um, that a lot of the, um, like before that, uh, women were allowed to give khutbahs um, in the nation of Islam and um, and were allowed to lead. Um, and then when they switched or they made that transition, suddenly uh, women were, you know, um, were not in as many uh, leadership positions as before. So I'm curious to hear what your experience uh, with that was. Yeah, that was that was particularly clear. So there was this was this cataclysmic change mm -hmm. because not only were we changing the, from the black nationalist philosophy, but we were also learning this whole new religion. <laughs> and so in the nation of Islam, it was actually pretty much more egalitarian than what we learned was the norm in quote unquote Muslim communities. For example, in the old nation of Islam, the women would sit on one side and the men would sit on the other side. They were separate, but they were parallel to the speakers. <laughs> Um, and there was um, a leadership for women, there was a leadership for men. So then when Quran came in, and it was mostly people that were um, not native born Americans that came because they knew Arabic, a separate room or not, because that oh, was the- You're, the, uh, you're the, breaking their up a little bit, Gail. Cultural, okay, oh. there was a cultural issue can you hear me? Yeah. There was a cultural issue. Mm -hmm. And um, and in most cases, the men kind of deferred to them. Okay. So um, it was it was a whole transitional, transitional period. And it still is in that kind of transitional period now, but it's it's made a lot of progress. But you'll still see, I think, I mean, Joan, you could you could correct me if I'm wrong. There's more conservative men are more conservative in the African American Muslim community. Not all of them, not all of them by any means, but they are more conservative than uh, in some other communities now. They haven't really caught up to that. And part of it also was to assert the role of African American men. Mm. So we as women were said, well, you know, our men haven't had that chance. Let's give them a chance to be the leaders, let, let them be the ministers, let them be the imams. This is kind of, you know, what they need because they're not getting it at all from the outer society. So it's a very complicated, right, very yeah. complicated situation. Yeah. Yeah. Joan, uh, you, Joan, you could chime in too. Joan and I have a similar background, so she could, she could yeah, tell you her uh, When I, I became Muslim in the Nation of Islam in San Diego, and when I went to Washington, D.C., I was allowed to be a sister minister, I guess this was after the Honorable Elijah Muhammad passed away. So I was a sister minister in Washington, DC, 
and in Boston, Massachusetts. And even in Boston, Massachusetts, the African-American brothers invited me to their Quran class. I was gonna be the only sister invited to that class, but that, that was 1975. But I decided it was time to come back home and finish my education. So I didn't join the class, but I, I wanted to say, so my perception in the NOI, many of the brothers were very accepting. And yes, now becoming more conservative from my limited aspect of seeing, you know, the different brothers. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, I just want to say, Salam to Sister Fazia. We're on the same coast. <laughs> <laughs> not not as severe weather as you, but yes, the icicles are melting now. So. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? I see some new faces too today. So, Hassel, maybe I can ask a question for Dr. Debbie. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm very interested in the stories in the Quran uh, because I think they're allegorical. Do you have an issue with people going into the specifics of the stories? Well, okay, the mother of Musa put the, the child in the basket, but did she really hear, you know, uh, did she get divine inspiration? Have you ever had disagreements about the, the powerful um, connection that the women that you talked about had? Has, have you ever gotten people to, um, to, to challenge you on that? Oh, uh, let's see. You're you're muted. Um, let's see. There you go. Okay. Yeah. I, I was I'm I was muted from your end, so oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. No worries. Um, actually, um, I haven't honestly gotten any pushback. Um, I think that, um, you know, when I've presented this to Muslim audiences, people have been inspired by it. Um. And the way that I frame it is, you know, is not necessarily that, you know, there's a, you know, there was like divine, you know, revelation to them. But, um, you know, mm -hmm. the, the part that I have always emphasized is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to people who are very spiritual um, and who are, you know, very pious, um, you know, in times of, of uh, you know, of great distress, right? And, and helps them figure out what those issues, you know, what, how to deal with that issue. And, you know, you know, like, um, you know, the mother of Moses, you know, we knew what was happening at that time. Um, and she wanted her, her child to live and she was taking that risk. Um, and she put all of her trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that something good will come of this. Um, and, um, and, and that's how she acted and how her daughter acted. And, you know, when I do, um, organizing specifically on, uh, on activism and, and community organizing, I talk about how, you know, there is really no age for you to be an organizer or an activist. You know, it's when you feel a sense of social responsibility that you want to do something. And I refer to both, you know, uh, the mother of Moses and his sister as two of the most innovative activists that ever existed, you know? that they, you know, conspired, they, they took this child, they put him in a, a basket, they put him through the river, you know, and, you know, he was picked up. Um, and, you know, the daughter, his sister followed and made sure that she knew what family he was at. And she organized to make sure that he had someone to breastfeed him. Um, and, you know, and it ended up being her mother. And so, you know, the, the inspiration in that story for me is that, you know, never underestimate the power that you have as an individual um, and never let anyone deter you from ever thinking that anything is possible. Um, you know, we saw what was possible, you know, with the sister of Moses and being able to get her mother to care for that baby for a couple of years, subhanAllah, it's, it's such an incredible story. Um, and I always tell people in trainings that I do is, you know, never let anyone discourage you and never let the voices in your own head make you think, oh, nobody's going to listen. Oh, people are going to think this is a crazy idea or this is a stupid idea. Never let that happen and, and just go for it. You, you don't have anything to lose by asking or pushing. <laughs> um, and, and we saw this, you know, in the proof of, of what happened in this uh, incredible story. Even if your husband is Pharaoh, <laughs> I love that you brought that up, you know, that there's, 
you know, even if you're in that toxic of an environment, you still can, you know, you're still protected by God and you still can uh, trust your, your own intuition and, and uh, be empowered by God. Absolutely. And that you're your own person, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam granted us as being independent human beings you know the fact that you know the female infanticide was was abolished um you know the whole you know ordination of making sure that women kept their maiden name for them to have their identities maintained and respected is just incredible and you know when i share this with with non-Muslims, like when they ask me, like, why, you know, do women, Muslim women change their name? And I start to tell them the whole story behind it. They're like, wow, this is so fascinating. I've never known this before. Um, and I mean, here's, here's an irony story for you just to, to show you, like, even in today, misogyny still exists in an in institutional and, you know, an institution. So for example, a dear friend of mine decided to go um, to change her, her first name uh, from her first name to her middle name and drop the first name. Um, she's married um, and she got the paperwork from the, from the civil clerk's office to do it. And one of the papers required her to actually get the consent, a notarized consent of her husband to be able oh. to change her, her name. And I was like, this is Coffee. insane. Yeah. 2020, this is still happening. What um, state is that? I'm sorry, here in New York State. Oh, wow. In New York State. And so when she shared this with me, I was like, I, I can't believe it. I feel like we're somewhere in the Far East or Middle East that you have to get your husband's permission to change your name. Um, so, you know, so even, you know, the West is ingrained with, with some of these, you know, um, misogynistic, uh, you know, situations that we, we still see these days. Yeah. And even you know, in the far east or Middle East, if they're doing that, they're doing it against Islam, against yeah, the instructions. Exactly. Of yeah. Yeah. So, Debbie, now you've triggered a thought in my mind. So when when the mother Musa is thinking about putting the baby in the she doesn't go to her husband. She doesn't say, honey, can I do you think this is OK? You think it's all right for me to do this? Nor does the sister. They just have total agency. They just they go with it. Like you say, they step out on faith. So I'm going to remember that if anyone ever says they're hesitant to do something without quote unquote permission that, you know, the Quran shows too that we have agency. You know, yeah. We have to act upon our own, our own um, faith. Yeah, that, absolutely. Uh, and, and I was going to say the other one is, you know, uh, say the, uh, you know, Hajar, you know, uh, Hagar was, was incredible. You know, mm -hmm. she accepted mm -hmm. being, you know, cast away into the desert um, she knew that it was Allah who, who basically was making this her destiny. She embraced it and she went out there like, who would do that? You know, I, I would probably like pick the biggest fight with my husband and throw him out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, it's, it's Allah's divine will, right? And that was her destiny to actually go, you know, mm -hmm. into the desert and build a nation, subhanAllah, you know, and, and these are the things that we have to, you know, when we are, you know, tapped by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something, we have to look in, in for the wisdom in it um, and, um, and, you know, put our faith in him and, 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 and say bismillah. That concept of permission is so, uh, it's such an intense block for so many women. And a lot of times uh, it's not even any men who are saying it. It's, you know, it's internalized pressure. Um, and something that we've uh, come, up, uh, come up across it, with the Women's Mosque is literally almost every single time we've reached out to someone to give a khutbah, they say, oh, you know, I, not me, I'm not worthy, or I'm not qualified, maybe there's someone else. Um, and then I always challenge and I'm like, if that uncle at the masjid can get up and start rambling at the minbar, why can't you? <laughs> you know? um, but it really is the most qualified women who are saying this. Um, so 
so your message um, of, you know, reminding us that um, we don't have to get that permission from anyone um, and that we're actually not obeying God's will when we stop ourselves and block ourselves is really important. Uh, is there anyone else who'd like to share a reflection or ask a question? We have some past khatibas here today. Uh, Dr. Iram Sheikh uh, gave a great khutbah um, and also Dr. Shaukat Rahman. Um, do you have anything you'd like to share or yeah, assalamu alaikum. It's good to hear all these conversations and be part of it. So thanks for organizing it also. Um, you know, I was really intrigued as I was listening to Gail. Salam, Gail. Um, and thanks for sharing more intimate details of Nation of Islam, and especially after it changed, um, after became more um, mainstream Sunni Islam. Um, I guess, you know, somebody asked me to write something about Dr. Betty Shabazz. And so I'm doing research about that one. So it get no more intriguing for me to hear about the difference in roles. Um, but I, what I also was understanding that now, um, I just want to make sure that it's framed correctly. Uh, my question is that Malcolm X was also a little more traditional in terms of gender roles. And I don't know if you have any insight um, into that or do you want to speak of that? Like he's such a revolutionary leader and, you know, uh, we all admire him for that. But in terms of some of the roles for women, he was not as revolutionary. Any insights or maybe I have to do more research. So, yeah. I think the research, we all need to do that. But, you know, we, we, you can't judge somebody by our time now. You know, you have to understand the dynamics that were going on at the time in which she lived. And clearly the Nation of Islam, the message was that the woman's role is to raise the children, to stay home, to build the nation through the children. And that was their role. It wasn't an outside role. It was, a, it was it's to be in home, in, at home. But having said that, if you talk about Betty Shabazz, who... Uh, was in the Nation of Islam before Malcolm X, I believe. And she married him. And she became quite an advocate for education mm-hmm. of women. But Betty Shabazz is a good person to, to, to study. And also Sister Clara Muhammad, um, her schools. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that uh, experience was like? As you said that you uh, sent your own children there, right? <laughs> during during the time of the Nation of Islam, the boys would go to school in the morning and the girls would go to school in the afternoon, or vice versa. Or not, it, they were separate; they were not co-ed. Uh, but then, after the change came along, they were co-ed. And the idea was that they needed to be educated with a sense of self-esteem. They learned about Black history. They learned about things that they would not have been exposed to in school. So that was the whole idea to to raise up a group of people who had self-confidence in themselves that were not ashamed of their background. And Claire Muhammad was the one that really uh, was the champion of that. And she's definitely someone that we need to know more about. Mm -hmm. A dear sister who's recently turned to Allah, Dr. Zakia Muhammad Mm -hmm. has written a book about Claire Muhammad and the first part of it has been published. It's available on Amazon and it talks about her history which was not really, uh, it was not a prominent part of the history of the nation of Islam until now. So more needs to be, be ta- talked about because she really was uh, the one that kept the nation of Islam going uh, in the early years. Um, Dr. Shalkat, did you have a question? Um, I don't have any question, but I just admire both of you, the, um, Gail and Dr. Debbie. Um, uh, I'm so proud of you, Dr. Devi. I was like screaming. At you. <laughs> you know, not like only the Quran is reciting is by the women, you know, like my kids, like always tease on that, you know, like whenever I see like a, they went to this, like when my kids went for this um, science uh, fair and like a, the every time the Muslim name announced, I start like a shouting. <laughs> Yeah. No, <laughs> like, how many children you have? Every time you are shouting, I'm like, okay, all of them, all of them are my children. Anyway, and uh, I just wanna see, like, certainly um, uh, we need. I'm not a scholar, and I'm not really not that much knowledgeable for all these um, 
you know how we born in Islam and we just everything is granted. So I really doesn't um, study that much, uh, very little knowledge. But I really wish that we have books for children on um, uh, Muslim women. So, uh, you know, it's have to be start from the, um, like a children, like a children learn that mm. then they become an adult and they do better things, right? So I don't know, that's, that's my request to um, all the knowledgeable Muslim women to have that uh, in mind. And, um, you know, they, uh, someone wrote this Curious George series on Ramadan, right? So that becomes so like a uh, popular and like all the kids are learning it. And uh, some of the, um, another Spanish guy, he wrote a few book on, uh, on her like a, for her for his daughter initially and then so though um, but we need also like a Muslim women like a, how uh, Chelsea Clinton is writing like she persisted so we have to have that she the uh, Muslim women you know something like that yeah thank you Dr. Uh, Rahman for for your comments I so greatly appreciate it and you know um, as you were talking, um, I, I reflected back on, on the whole, you know, the, uh, the, the prayer of the National Cathedral prayer service and my getting invited to recite Quran. Um, initially, um, what I wanted to do was actually do the Arabic um, uh, recitation and provide the English um, translation. And because of time and because they had so many leaders, other religious leaders um, that were on, um, we were not able to. But um, when I was first invited, I had asked them, I said, um, you know, am I the only Muslim that is going to be participating in the program? Um, and so they said to me, no. And, I, and then I immediately said, um, is there going to be a man that mm -hmm. is um, going to be uh, on the program, a, a Muslim, you know, imam or, or leader? Um, and they told me yes. And I said, and so I, I had asked, um, is he also reciting Quran? And they're like, no, is there, you know, is there an issue with that? I said, no, women can read, um, you know, recite the Quran and be able to do so just like men. Um, and so it was really interesting because um, the brother from Florida, he just gave a prayer where I actually, you know, gave a recitation in English of, of the, you know, the Quran. Um, so it was really very significant. And even, you know, with the, um, with the uh, inaugural team that were putting this event together, it, they they themselves experienced a lot of learning um, mm -hmm. and and understanding that there is nothing in Islam that says women can't you know recite the Quran and you know mashallah we see so many hafizas right now and we see you know so many contests where you know young women are actually you know, reading, you know, reciting the Quran with Tajweed and, and winning prizes. And I think we need to push more of that and show that women mm -hmm. are able to do that. And um, so it, it's, uh, it was such a privilege for me to be able to do that. You know, um, I, I was so, you know, I, 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 could, I don't even know what to tell you. It was really very inspirational for me um, you know, to be, you know, uh, an American Muslim, to be a Yemeni American woman, like my community, the Yemeni American community was so, so thrilled about this. Mm -hmm. um, and um, some, you know, some people in our community had shared with me that years ago during the Obama administration, um, that they actually had an imam who did the Quranic recitation um, at this prayer service. And they actually had Dr. Ingrid Madison um, just provide, you know, a, a regular, you know, prayer, dua. Um, so it's really fascinating now to see, you know, see that flipping, right? It's mm -hmm. the yes, opposite, yes. right? And and it's through education. It's it's helping people, you know, who are well-intentioned to understand mm -hmm. what our faith says. And mm -hmm. as I made, you know, the comments before that we have to help, you know, our allies and people who want to do faith work with, with us, to not necessarily just think that they have to have an imam or it's a deal breaker, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, um, that there are really a lot of amazing people who do this kind of work um, and that we should expand that um, and be able to hear many voices from our community. 
And just um, educating people about the democratic, direct democracy that Islam is, um, much more so than other religions where we don't have a clergy, we don't have this hierarchy, um, and it really is the most learned person who should lead. Um, so I, I always find that's, uh, that surprises people as well. Um, uh, so I have a question for both of you. So, um, you know, on the topic of uh, empowerment, self-empowerment, and um, uh, dealing with superiority. So, um, Gail, in your in your chutzpah, you talked about how um, the uh, I, I'm forgetting the phrase, but the phrase that you had to memorize um, in the Nation of Islam after a while oh, didn't. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Oh, no worries. Um, uh, it, after a while, it didn't sit well with you, that um, that proclamation of superiority that was meant to be uh, a way of healing the inferiority that you were, you know, faced with um, in American society. So can you talk about, like, what about it didn't sit well with you? Why didn't it have the uh, um, effect that it was intended to have? Um, and then also, uh, Dr. Debbie, if you could talk about um, just how to, how um, in your studies about all of these women, uh, Shiro's, um, how that concept, how they dealt with that concept of inferiority and why or why not um, the, the idea of just reciprocating how you're treated doesn't always work. Um, so whoever wants to go mm -hmm. first. Well, I guess I could start, I, I hope my internet is okay. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Women and people of color, we're all dealing with issues of inferiority that we can we internalize right like you were saying we we self-censor ourselves we don't go and do things that we really think we should that we could we all we hold ourselves back so it's an internal thing so for me in the nation of islam i was really motivated because i wanted to see a better life for black people but that was not the way I was raised. I come from a family that's, that has a lot of different races in it. And so after a while, it became clear to me that that whole message of you're either black or you're not, uh, you know, there's white people in my family. It just didn't quite, I couldn't make the intellectual leap. You know, I was, I was not raised that way. And so I was, I say I was, I was a racist for about six months <laughs> and I kind of got it out of my system and I got all the stuff that had happened to me that was negative and then after I got it out of my system I was okay and I could move on and embrace everybody uh, for who they were with you know lots of issues we have all these issues going on but so it was a duality too for me it was nation addressed the issue of race Islam addressed the issue of humanity. So when I read Quran, it, it clicked. It was like, okay, Allah is saying me, t telling me I am worthy no matter what I look like, mm -hmm. what, where I come from, I'm worthy because I'm a creature of Allah and no external thing could, to, could make any difference at all. And so, and then the same now with women. And that's why I really appreciate the women's mosque so much is the women's mosque is saying Allah it's not making you inferior in any way. Societal constraints, cultures will put that on you. But if you look at what Dr. Debbie is reading to us in the Quran, these stories are telling us, no, we are human creatures of Allah and have an infinite capacity to do Allah's will, regardless of sex, regardless of race. Beautiful, thank you. Dr. Debbie? Yeah, I would, um, you know, uh, that was very well said, um, Gail, thank you. Um, it's so important to look at where we, you know, our, our worldview, right? And, and, um, and you know, the, the culture that we have grown up and developed in. And so, you know, coming from a, a Middle Eastern um, community um, and um, specifically, uh, you know, of Yemeni background, um, many in our, my community are very, very conservative. Um, and, you know, for the most part, and what's really interesting, right, is that for the most part here in the United States, people are very conservative. And if you have gone, if you go back to Yemen and see people are so modernized, women are working, women are doing all of these incredible things are highly educated. 
But what happened was um, with members of the Yemeni American community is those who came like, you know, 40, 50 years ago, um, came with those traditional customs and they never, they never evolved, right? Um, and so what we see a lot of is, um, you know, this whole notion of like, you know, women shouldn't be seen or heard. Um, there shouldn't be, you know, much intermingling uh, between men and women. Um, and so, you know, it, it's sad to see, you know, women and men working in parallels, right? And what I mean by parallels, two separate worlds, but they would never come together, the Yemeni men and women. And so it's only within the last, you know, I would say 10 years that we're breaking down those barriers and helping people understand that women have can contribute to society. Um, and, um, and that, you know, rather than volunteering, you know, with outside organizations outside of the Yemeni and Muslim community, you know, let's start doing this kind of, you know, uh, volunteering and giving back within our own community. And so it's been a challenge helping people undo um, these, you know, cultural um, customs and, and traditions that really have nothing to do with this salmon. You know, the one thing that I use and I, I always, you know, reference um, is, you know, our Islam, what Islam tells us. Um, and, you know, it, it's like my, my secret weapon <laughs> to combat misogyny and, <laughs> and to get people to understand, like, you know, this is not what God, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you to do. This is, this is man-made and, and you are not following what Islam tells us. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of men in my community, in the Yemeni community, who've come a long way. Um, but we still have, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of work to do. And when Gail earlier was talking about the conservatism within the African-American Muslim community, um, you know, it's because that was like the first thing that they've learned, right? Um, and it's hard to break away from that, um, you know. Would you agree with me, Gail? You're, you're nodding your head, because I don't want to see, you know. That's I don't the way they see. were taught, yes. Yeah, and it's hard, but what we yeah. see right now is their children um, basically having more of a American Muslim identity, right? That, you know, that basically does not see a conflict between being Muslim and being American um, and being a part of this mm -hmm. culture um, and yet maintaining, you know, your religious principles and values, um, you know, to, to be able to be true to Islam. And so uh, it's really hard. And, you know, I think that the, the challenge um, that I see that um, is really for youth, many of them are struggling so hard um, to be both Muslim and to be both American um, and are straddling, you know, these identities, you know, um, with such contradiction. And um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something that we struggle with and are working really hard to help them be able to not to have to feel like they have, you know, two different identities, one at home and one at school, but being able to make them feel comfortable in their skin and be proud, right? Be proud of being Muslim when they're in school versus shying away um, and not acknowledging that. So um, we have a lot of work to do. Um, and I think, you know, the best teachers for this work are the mothers, the sisters, you know, the daughters, um, you know, because uh, we, we know you know, we, we have the, the compassion um, and the patience to be able to, to do some of this work. So I hope that's not stereotypical. <laughs> I think we also have the empathy having gone yes. through, you know, um, having observed for so long. Um, and that observation, that quiet observation, um, it allows us to teach these things maybe a little bit more gracefully um, than people who are used to the spotlight and used to getting their voices heard. Um, yeah. yeah, this is a really great point. Um, yeah. okay. When, uh, when Gail is talking about this, that we ourselves and our family put us down, right? Put us like, a, oh, you are, you are women, why should you do that? You're not gonna do it. Like, um, so I just <laughs> laughing myself because I um, I have a I built a house in my um, in my parents' property. Like you know how mm -hmm. we get the shear, right? 
So um, my dad's property, I got my share of land. So I built a house in uh, 2007. So then initially, um, like we are looking for, like we're going to give a name. So I just put my like initials of me and my children. And so that was okay. Nobody said anything. People kind of tease, tease me a little bit like a hot cat. It's not a word, like it just ends, right? So my name is Mukta, so Mukta and my kids, all, everybody's first name. So it, it's really not making any sense. But then recently, like last year, um, it, it become like a, in our city property, like you have to give a name of it. So then I was like, oh, okay, I can do it. So then I put the name, uh, it's called Soyod Bari, meaning um, Soyod House. It's the, our, um, our, like a dad's titles, like, uh, Soyod is the, how do I say that? It's like a um, linear. So I said Soyod Bari, meaning Soyod House, that means like it's coming from my dad and then me and then my wow. children, right? So then, uh, so I, I was going to do that. So I said, I send it to my siblings and everybody was like, are you like, are you insane? Like, what is your sanity? And I was like, what happened? Like, why? And we are six sisters and only one brother. Hmm. So they said, you cannot do that. You are not the son and i was like okay now i like i i'm gonna do it okay so even my sisters and they live here you know i brought them here and they live here for like uh more than 15 years and everybody reacted like i'm not the son so i cannot give that name to my house only my brother can do it for his house if you want to so but i did it anyway so Good. That was you Good throwing you. the baby in the in the river, in the basket in the river. <laughs> Great, alhamdulillah. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, that'll be it for today. And we invite you to come back, join us next month, inshallah. We do our jummas um, once a month, the last Friday of the month. Um, and we want to thank you again, Dr. Debbie and Sister Gail, um, for your amazing contribution and reminding us of these powerful legacies um, within our ummah um, and that are an inspiration for everyone. So thank you again. You are very welcome. Jazakumullah Thank you all for attending and thank you for inviting me and I wish you all the best, inshallah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye.